Sir Francis Drake was an explorer. He was a ship captain. He was a naval commander. Uh, sometimes he was a politician. Sometimes he was a pirate. I think he was a little bit of both, maybe. Uh, but Sir Francis Drake is best known and best remembered for circumnavigating the globe, being the first person to make a complete circuit around the globe in one trip, one three-year-long trip. And you think about something like that, that's not a trip that you want someone who's half-hearted taking. You don't want someone who's not committed making that, someone who wants to give up. And it seems that no matter what else Sir Francis Drake was, he was always perseverant. He always followed through with what he did. After completing that three-year trip around the globe, Drake was quoted as saying this, it is not the beginning, it is not the beginning, but the continuing of the same until thoroughly finished that yields true glory. Beginnings are fun. Beginnings are, are exciting. There's an energy and there's a newness at the beginning. You're ready to tackle the whole world. You start a new job. You're excited about a new job. You're starting about new prospects and, and what you're going to get to do that's different than what you did before. You get into a new relationship. You're all excited about that new relationship. The love is new. The relationship is new. You get even maybe a new diet, you know. You're excited at the prospect of fitting into that pair of pants you haven't fit into for a very, very long time. And then that long slog through the middle hits. And with the diet, suddenly cheeseburgers smell like manna from heaven. Just, they seem like they're the most perfect thing ever created. And you realize there in the middle that the new job isn't all it was cracked up to be because it turns out the same kind of jerks are at this job that were at the last job. And then in the middle of the relationship, when the the honeymoon is over. The shine wears off of that. And those, that phrase, till death do us part, that starts to sound like a death sentence after a while. And you make it far enough along and you realize the, the force and the commitment behind those words in sickness and in health, in better or in worse. And you start to wonder, am I really up to this? Can I make it through in sickness and in health? It is not the beginning, but the continuing of the same until thoroughly finished that yields true glory. What, what do we do? What do we hold on to when the bright beginning is over? And the continuing of the same, that daily slog through the middle seems so difficult. You know, there's times like that we might open our Bible and we might look for a word of inspiration. We might try to find a verse that inspires us to keep going, something that inspires us to hold on, something to give us a little kick in the pants, something maybe a little more holy than, than the words of a pirate-turned-politician, or was he a politician-turned-pirate? I'm not really sure. It's probably about the same. But we might turn to a scripture that, that gives us some encouragement. We might even find ourselves in Philippians chapter 1, which is where we will be today on page 980. And we might find our way to Philippians 1, verse 6, a very, very encouraging verse. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There it is. There's the encouragement that we need. I am sure of this. We used to sing a song a long time ago that was based on this verse. It started out, 
I'm confident of this very thing. And then we would sing parts and harmonies and everything. It was much better than just me doing that. But it would take us all the way through that verse. I'm confident of what? I'm confident that I can do it. I'm confident that I'm strong enough. I'm confident that I'm smart enough. No, that's not the confidence of this verse. Paul's confidence is not in the perseverance of the Philippians. His confidence is in the power of God, the perseverance of God. I want you to hear it again. Listen to it in context, beginning in verse 3. Paul writes to these, these Christians in Philippi, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And what I love about that verse when taken as a whole in this passage is that it acknowledges our weaknesses. It acknowledges that we struggle. It acknowledges that we get weak in the middle of a very, very long marathon of, uh, of holding on and, and continuing on. But our confidence is in the God who sees us through. Our confidence is in the God who perseveres for us. Paul says, I'm confident of this. I am sure of this. I'm sure his, he was sure for his friends, just like we can be sure for our friends and we can be sure for ourselves that in that difficult middle, when you feel like giving up, Paul says that you can find confidence in God's grace to see you through. As we make our way through Philippians over the next couple of months, we're going to see that beyond any shadow of a doubt, Paul loved these people. He loved the people in Philippi, the Christians, the church in Philippi. He cared deeply for them. But we're also going to see that the Philippians were struggling. Believe it or not, they're not a perfect church. They're not the perfect church. I have yet to find the perfect church. They're not the perfect church. In chapter 2, just a couple weeks from now, we're going to see that they didn't always do a good job of loving each other. They didn't put each other first. They didn't consider others more important than themselves. Everybody was kind of selfish in this church. We get into chapter 4 at the end, and Paul's going to name names. There are two women in this church who cannot agree on anything, and they are pulling the church apart. And Paul doesn't say this one's right or that one's right. He says, I just want them to knock it off. I want them to agree with each other. And yet, with all of their troubles, Paul doesn't give up on this church. In the midst of all of their troubles, in the midst of their selfishness and all the problems they've got, he doesn't wash his hands and walk off. He sticks with them. He doesn't give up on them, and neither does God. And in our troubles, we shouldn't give up on ourselves. We shouldn't give up on each other. We should not give up on God's grace for us. Verses 7 through 8. He says, it is right for me to feel this way. What way? I'm sure of this that God will complete that work for you. I hold you in my heart, he says. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. There's that phrase that we're going to come back to over and over again. 
in Philippians, for those we hold in our hearts. Paul says, I hold you in my heart. It's a commitment, isn't it? It's a commitment. I hold you in my heart. I want to see the very best for you. That's what it means to hold you in my heart. But it's a commitment that we have to share. Because if I hold you in my heart and you don't hold me in your heart, that's not very good for me. <laughs> that's going to make it difficult. That's going to make things very, very difficult. It's a commitment we have to share. I can't hold you in my heart if you don't hold me in your heart. But together, our, our focus isn't simply on what we can do. It isn't just on our own strength to continue. The focus together is on the grace that sustains us, the grace that sees us through. He says there, I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Again, Paul is writing this in prison. He's awaiting trial. He's on trial because of his preaching of Jesus. And here he is saying that in a, in a very real way, you are on trial with me. We're doing this together. We know what that kind of connection with each other is like. We have as a church, when one part has hurt, we've all hurt. We've all shared in those struggles. When one of us is sick, we reach out and we care. We, we bring food and we do what we can. When, when one part suffers, when we lose somebody like we did this past week, we all grieve together and we take part in that and, and carry that for each other. This is part of what it means to be bound together as a church, to be partakers of grace. And so we realize it's not just, it's not just my strength that gets us through. And it's not just your strength that gets you through difficulty. It's what we bring for each other. It's the way that we strengthen each other in the grace that God binds us together with. But here's the key. We're not simply going to wallow in our failure. The verse does not call us to wallow in each other's failure, to wallow in each other's weakness together. The verse doesn't call us to say, you know, life is hard and it's okay that you want to give up. It's probably okay to, to, to just give up, to give in. It's okay to not live up to your commitment. It's okay to not live up to your commitment on that job, your commitment in that relationship. It's okay to not live up to your commitment in the church because life is hard. The goal is that through grace, we would encourage each other to press on even in those difficult times. Paul says, I am sure of this. I am sure of this for you just as you can be sure of it for me, that he who began this new work in you will be faithful to complete it. That through his grace, we will all find our way through this together, even through the difficult times, even through those very tough middles, that through his grace, we will find our way through together. And in the end, when thoroughly finished, it will yield true glory. Holding someone in your heart means that you want the best for someone else, even when the best is hard. And Paul is showing us here that God wants the best for us as well. He wants us to see that the promise of God's perseverance fuels our faithfulness. Now, the last three verses of this passage are a prayer, born out of the place that they hold 
in Paul's heart, a prayer that is powered by the grace of which they are all partakers. And as lovely as that promise in verse 6 is, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to, co to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. As wonderful as that promise is, we don't get that promise without the, without the faith, without the faithfulness, without the grace, without the, I hate to use the word effort, but I'm going to use the word effort, that comes behind the prayer that Paul prays in these last verses. You don't get the one without the other. You don't get that promise without realizing what you are putting into it, that it is the continuing of the same until thoroughly finished that yields true glory. It's a prayer to fuel their faithfulness as God has proven Himself faithful and as He completes the work that He began in them and the work that He began in us. Verse 9, Paul says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It's not a prayer for an easy life. It's not a prayer even for a happy life. It's a prayer for the ability to hold on. When you're in the middle, when the excitement is gone, what is it that will fuel your faithfulness to hold on until God completes that work in you? It's a prayer for love to abound. But I want you to hear that prayer carefully. This isn't love that's mere emotion. This isn't just your doe-eyed affection for one another. Uh, this isn't just, just emotion. This is love that is grounded, in, as Paul says, in knowledge and all discernment. It is love that knows the right thing and chooses to do the right thing, even when the right thing is not the easy thing, even when the right thing is not pleasant, even when the right thing means pressing on when we would just as soon quit. It is a prayer to fuel your faithfulness, to trust that God will complete that work in you. So that, verse 10 has a so that, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. What is the most excellent thing that you can do? Mom and dad had this phrase, didn't they? You know what's right. You know what's wrong. We don't want any wrong. Dad was quoting the Apostle Paul. Did you know that? He knew his Bible. Because that's exactly what Paul is saying here. You know what's right. You know what's wrong. Choose to do what's right. Even when it's hard. Even when it's a difficult choice. Even when it's not the popular choice. Even when it means you're going to have to continue to press on for a very long time. This is so hard today. Because our culture has fed us a lie. Our culture has fed us a lie that the highest hope that you can have is that you're happy. The best thing that you can have in life is just that you're happy. I don't know how many times I have to see it. I don't know how many times I have to hear it. I, I hear it over and over again. Very well-meaning people 
who loves someone who has just made a lousy choice, who will say, as long as you're happy, that's all that matters. Says who? When did we get the idea that that's all that matters? Or someone who's made a bad decision and you will, you will see the, the justification. I deserve to be happy. Now, now, I'm not down on happiness. But might there be something more important than just happiness in the moment? Should, could God have something more important for you, something better for you that might outlive that happiness for just that moment? I deserve to be happy. And in that never-ending search for happiness, we end up compromising everything. We compromise our morals. We compromise our ethics we compromise the way we do the job because we deserve to be happy and we don't want to have to go to all this trouble. We compromise vows that we made before God because this person doesn't make me happy anymore. We compromise our integrity because if I stay in this job, because if I stay in this relationship, because if I stay in this lifestyle, I won't be happy. But we never seem to notice that what got us into those conditions in the first place was the search for happiness last time? And last time we made some lousy choices because we deserved to be happy, and those led us to where we are today? Could it be there's something more important than happiness? Could it be there's something more fulfilling than happiness? Verse 11, Paul says, filled filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. I can't help but think back to Proverbs because we spent a whole summer in Proverbs and they're still in my head. They're still working on me. Proverbs 21, 21. Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. You hear that? Whoever pursues Righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. That doesn't sound much like, well, as long as you're happy. I deserve to be happy. Sounds like Jesus, though. It does sound like a lot like Jesus. It, it sounds like commitment. Not just commitment to the easy times or the fun times or those fun beginnings, but commitment to those difficult times. Those difficult times where you have to press on even though things aren't going well. Those difficult times when those words in sickness and in health, it's the sickness that's emphasized. And you realize there's a lot of sickness. And that's a lot of commitment. It's, it's, those, it's that commitment not just to the beginning, but to the tough times. But, it, but it's also trust. It is trust that God will be faithful, that God will complete what He has started in you. And it sounds like we'll hold on to that together through His grace. This passage, these verses, as I've said, very often they're used as, as encouragement. You see someone struggling, you have someone going through a difficult time, we'll find a card. They've got cards with Philippians 1.6 on them. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. You probably find a stamp or two with that written on it, with that imprinted on it. But it, it, it's more than just about that moment when things are tough. It's not just about that time when it's hard to keep going. It is a call to approach every moment 
the joy, the happiness, and the difficult times. It is a call to approach every moment with a steadfast determination that I'm going to hold firmly to God. I'm going to hold firmly to the course that he's laid out for my life. And no matter that moment of difficulty, I'm going to trust in his presence. And I'm going to allow his presence to fuel my faithfulness to see me through the difficult times. Too many of us give up on ourselves. We give up on ourselves way too fast. We focus, we get our eyes on our own weakness. We've let ourselves down before. We've failed ourselves before. We've left a lot of things unfinished. And giving up just becomes our default after a while. And it is way too easy to enable that in the people that we love because we love them and we just want them to be happy. Rather than allowing ourselves and allowing our love to hold them to the grace of God, to know that His perseverance in their life will fuel their faithfulness. See, this isn't just about your weakness, and it's not just about my weakness. It's not just about the difficult time you're going through or the difficult time I might be going through. We're doing this together. We're holding each other in our hearts. When you're weak, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to encourage you to hold strong. And when all that matters to me is my happiness, you're going to remind me that there is so much more. And on that day that Paul calls the day of Jesus Christ, we're going to stand before Him together because we have stood together today in the fun beginnings and in those difficult middles and in the end that yields true glory. Communion reminds us of the promise of the day of Jesus Christ. The promise that we'll receive on that day but it also reminds us that that promise doesn't come without a cost. It costs Jesus His life. It costs us all of our devotion. We take to remind ourselves of what our hope cost Him and of what we are, what we are committing of ourselves to receive His hope. That we are committing everything that we are, all that we are, all that we have to Him. And that together... We're standing on His promises and we're standing on that solid rock of who Jesus is. I'm going to pray, we're going to sing, and we'll take communion together. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we love the promises in Your Word, but the more I turn to them, the more I realize they are not, they are not easy promises. It's so easy just to lift a verse like, Philippians 1, 6 out and, and claim that promise without seeing the prayer that fuels that kind of promise. Lord, there'll be times for each one of us when it's easier to quit. It's easier to give up. It's easier, it's easier to just desire our own happiness. Lord, hold us firmly to You in those times and hold us firmly to You by holding us firmly together that we might encourage one another. We thank You for this bread that reminds us of the body broken, the cup that reminds us of bloodshed, and the promise, the promise that we have for an amazing, an amazing eternity with You, and also the promise we have of 
every day being filled with Your grace and Your grace to hold on. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.